Scripture reading this morning comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Good morning. hope this message will be very edifying to you. It includes scripture, so I can guarantee you the scripture will be edifying. I've been thinking a little bit lately about sermon illustrations. I'm trying to plug my kids in, but sometimes I just have good stories that I've yet to come up with an illustration. Maybe you can help me with one of them. A few weeks ago when Jimmy and Karen were still here, I looked down the aisle and I watched Wyatt and he had a quarter in his hand when the collection came by and he put the quarter in. I was like, that's nice. And then little Haley, she had a quarter and she put it in. And then when it came to Emmett, Emmett held the plate. He leaned his head over the plate, and he turned his head sideways, and he hit his head, and a quarter fell out of his ear into the plate. I was thinking, that has to have a sermon illustration in it. I've been wanting to use it for a while, and I can't think of it. But I love their children, and maybe you can help me to figure out where that would go in a a lesson. This morning, we want to continue on our subject of looking at love. And so you might think, isn't that what we looked at last week? And so we weren't looking at loving your neighbor, but my emphasis this week is I put the rest of it in there, as yourself. And I think that's a very important passage. So we're going to look at that this morning and the emphasis of loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' love for outsiders. And so when we open up our Bible and we can turn and we can go over to Luke chapter 5 and we can read about Jesus on the side of the Sea of Galilee and he comes up to a tax booth And there he meets a man, and we read about right here in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, let's take a look at that passage in Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. Verse 27 to 32 says this, And this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When I look at the life and example of Jesus Christ, everything he did, I see his love. Last week, we looked at the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. This week, consider this passage, and we're going to look at another similar one as well, where it doesn't matter who you were as an outsider, Jesus loved them and he embraced them. And there's so much we can learn from this, especially when it comes to evangelism and showing love to others. Those who usually come into the church and are baptized, I notice a lot of them, you know, we're, we're not all fit into the mainstream. A lot of us are outsiders, and yet we find a place in Jesus Christ from the outside coming in, and we can feel that and we can see that in Christ. And as I read that passage of Jesus saying, follow me, and I see uh, Levi right then, Matthew getting up and following him, I see a wonderful thing there. I also see Christ as he says, I am a physician. And he says something very specific here. He says here that only the sick need the physician. He says, I came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. 
And he says that to the scribes and the Pharisees. But when you look at the scribes and the Pharisees, did they have sin? Yes. Were they sick? Yes. Did they need a physician? Yes. But they didn't know they needed a physician. They didn't think about it. You know, as a man, if I'm hurting, I ignore it. <laughs> I don't want to go to the physician. I don't want to go to the doctor. That's the last thing I want to do. It'll go away. I'll start feeling better later. I, I want to deny that. And that same kind of habit that, that men have in, generally speaking, staying away from doctors and physicians is right here in Pharisees with their sin. And the whole world is like that. I don't want to think about Christ. I don't want to think about what he did for me. I don't want to think about his love. I don't want to contemplate the significance of his death and his resurrection. And I wonder, this morning we were, we were driving in, and I was looking over, and as we were going out of our neighborhood on the right, there was a yard sale set up. It was open Saturday morning, but here they extended it. The sign didn't save for Sunday, but evidently they were doing it on Sunday too. And I was thinking, this is your priority and your focus on Sunday morning. And I just kind of think it's not really a judgmental attitude. It's really, what do you think about on Sunday morning? When I think about Sunday morning, I wake up and say, this is the day with Christ rose from the dead. This is the day of the assembly. This is the day to come to church, to worship, to fellowship, to stir one another, to love and good works. And most of the world doesn't think like that. We continue driving. I drove past a house. The guy always has a nice car. He has a new black Mustang out front. And this man was cleaning up the leaves out of his yard. He was putting them all in the bins there. And I was thinking, so you spend your week working, and Sunday comes, and you think, now it's time for yard work or yard sale. And I think a lot of people are, are simply trying to exclude and not think about who Christ is, that they need him, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and Christ is the only one. And when I look at Christ and what he does right here, I see great love from him. Now, last week, we looked at the greatest commands. We looked at the greatest command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew chapter 22. We also saw the second greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when Jesus is giving those commands, he is quoting Scripture from the Old Testament. Later on, he's going to say, I give you a new commandment in John chapter 13 and, and following passages. And 1 John also says their new command. Because the new command, this command takes on new life in Jesus Christ because he becomes our example. And so last week, we looked at how Christ was an example. But this week, I want to put an emphasis on as yourself, loving as yourself. We've got to love ourselves. We've got to have the right perspective of ourselves when we love others and love our neighbor. And we'll look at more of that in detail. So in here, in another account, Mark 12, verse 31, Jesus revealed the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, than to love God and love your neighbor. All the rest of the commands, all the law is fulfilled in love. Everything hangs on that. So we asked the question this morning, how does someone love others, love their neighbors as themselves? First thing I want to do this morning is I want to go over to Leviticus chapter 19 that Chris read for us. I want to look at the context here and look at where this passage comes from. So it's not like you're reading Exodus 20 where you're going through the Ten Commandments and there it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or it's not like you go to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and read the Ten Commandments and there the passage is, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul does that in Romans 13. He gives the Ten Commandments about loving your neighbor and he says this is what fulfills the commandments, the law. It is love. It comes from Leviticus chapter 19. How many of you have read Leviticus recently? 
Maybe you have read through the Bible recently in the last year. A lot of people avoid Leviticus. They read Genesis, Exodus, oh, there's Leviticus. And they get in the first four chapters and read about the sacrifices and the offerings and say, I'm going to skip on over to Judges or Joshua where it gets interesting again. But I think it's fascinating that here's this passage right here, a great command, and it's only found in this part of the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. I want you to look at the context here because Moses giving this command, there's more to it. It gives you a bigger picture of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You want examples of that? Last week we looked at Christ's example. Here we get it right out of Leviticus 19. So the passage is tucked away. It starts like this. And the Lord spoke to Moses. He says, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. So this is how it begins. God's going to give this great command to love your neighbor as yourself. And he begins because this is holiness. This is how you consecrate yourself, set yourself apart from the rest of the world. And he tells Israel, this is it. I want you to be holy because I, God, am holy, and you need to be the same way. We want to look at the context. Look with me in Leviticus 19. I think we could read the whole chapter, but let's look in verses 9 through 14. 9 through 14. So God has given instruction to Moses to say this, and he says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall lead them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God gives a command here. And in the context of being holy, he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to leave the corners of your field. Don't pick everything out of your garden there, your vineyard. Leave it there so the poor and sojourner, those who are passing by, can partake of it. So you think about that, the things that we have, our ability to give, the things we had to give to others. This is a part of loving your neighbor as yourself. This is how you do it. And then he tells them further, he says in verse 11 and 12, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And notice how he ends these statements. He says here, I am the Lord your God. In other words, I am Yahweh, I am Jehovah. He mentions his own name. And here he says, don't profane the name of God by lying or speaking a, a false oath or anything like that. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. When you read in your Bible, especially right here, and it says capital L-O-R-D, the Hebrew word there is Yahweh, Jehovah, the name of God. So God is emphatic here. This is how you love your neighbor. Don't steal, don't lie, don't deal falsely. Continue reading with me. Verse 13 and 14. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the death or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear God. I am the Lord. So you don't cause those who are unable and disabled to get hurt. You don't oppress your neighbor. Those who are working hard, back in this time, you couldn't keep their pay and say, well, after you finish two weeks, we'll give you your check. You had to pay them the day of. And that was the command. This was about being holy. This was loving your neighbor as yourself. Then continue reading with me, verses 15 to 16. And notice where the direction that God gives instruction to Moses here. He says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. 
But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Notice the emphasis on neighbor, how you judge. You don't give a preference to the poor. Some people today might say you need to, or preference to the great, to the wealthy. And some might say that's what people are doing. The Bible says that's wrong, and we see that in the law. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor, I am the Lord. What's he saying here? Don't bear false witness. Don't go into court and say so-and-so did this. He deserves to be punished or be put to death when he didn't do it. Of course, in the law of Moses, if you do that, you receive the punishment that you were trying to bring upon that person. Do not slander. Do not speak falsely. And then here's the passage right here, verses 17 and 18. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. I think that puts the other side of the coin there, loving your neighbor as yourself. Do not hate somebody from your heart. Do not be resentful. Do not hold a grudge against them. He says, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Notice that. This is in contrast. Taking vengeance, bearing a grudge is in contrast to loving your neighbor. And he says this, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. All the commandment, all the law is written right there about us teaching us, teaching the people of Israel and us now how to love our neighbor. Don't steal, don't lie, don't slander, don't hold a grudge, don't hate within your heart. Those things are contrary to God. We need to learn again about that law. We see the truth there in the New Testament as well. Same instruction, Ephesians 4 and verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. In other words, put away all hate, anything you do that's malicious. Bitterness, don't speak against other people with resentment. Don't act in wrath and try to bring your own vengeance on other people. That's what he means here by wrath. With anger here, you know, don't yell as the word clamor here. Don't put someone down and curse them. And don't slander, don't speak falsely because you don't like someone because you hate them in your heart. In fact, put that hatred away, put all malice away, it says. And we read this as well. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, some people would say, well, Jesus commanded hate. I'm very thankful that Jesus used hyperbole, because a lot of people today, if you use hyperbole, they'll, they'll jump on you and say, you can't exaggerate, you can't do things like that. But Jesus said this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And we know Jesus here is not saying that you should hate them in contrary to the law. As many people have observed, he, it's an idea of you've got to love a lot less your family, your father, your mother, your wife, and your children than God, than Jesus Christ. As Christians, that has to be our conviction. We continue to look here. I want to look at this. Loving your neighbor as yourself. What does yourself imply? Why do you love yourself? So some people might say there are those out there who don't love themselves. There are people out there who degrade themselves and they put themselves down. They even hurt themselves and they try to kill themselves. But I want you to think about this. A lot of people who contemplate and try to commit suicide, often they say, it'll be better for me and for the world and everyone else. They've used false reasoning. They're self-centered when they make this decision. However, they're doing it because they love themselves. They say, I want to, I want to put an end to it because it'll be better for me. I just want to stop everything around me. My point here with this is that everybody loves themselves. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5 says that. It says, no man ever hated his own flesh. 
And the love of oneself is very basic and it's essential. And if you don't love yourself, and if you don't have the right reasoning behind loving yourself, it affects how you love others. My point in this is, the Bible tells us when we love God, we recognize how much He loves us. We recognize that Jesus came and He died on the cross for us and He rose again. We see the love that Jesus has shown to all the world and the fact that He has healed people and He's blessed us and He's given this creation to us. That changes the way we view the world. That changes our love because now we see how God loves us. We recognize that God has made us, He's made every one of us for a purpose. He values us more than all the birds in the world and He knows the number of the hairs on our head according to Luke chapter 12. That's what Christ says. And so we get this picture of loving ourselves because we want to love others the way that God loves us. And our love for ourselves needs to be based on that. We can't go around saying, I'm a worthless person because God says you're not. When Jesus died on the cross, He showed you're not a worthless person. He showed that you have purpose and meaning. And so when I I get up on Sunday morning and I drive to church and I see people out in the front yard, I think they're not thinking about God's love for them and they're not loving themselves the way that God loves them. And if they were, they would have a priority in life to focus on God. When we love our neighbors as ourselves, just as every one of us desires, we have some basic desires. We woke up this morning and said, I, I want to eat something. Most of us ate something. Maybe we said, I want to be clean. So you took a shower. You put clothes on because you're taking care of yourself. And when you love your neighbor as yourself, you think about those around you and say, I want food and clothing. Those around me need food and clothing. I want to encourage you to do this, especially if you have children. If your kids go to school, they're able to see the kids around them who have jackets or maybe don't have coats, or maybe they have holes in them. They can see the kids who don't have food, those who are in need. And we can put a priority in having our kids look for them as we need to be looking, whether, no matter where we are, that we ourselves can give to them. As Christians, sometimes I think the world thinks that the church is supposed to be this big organization that just gives out stuff. So yeah, we give out the gospel. Yeah, and we try to do good. My point is this. Every single one of us, we don't have to be a collected charity. Every one of us is a charity. Every one of us is an organization by ourselves to do good to others. So when you think about someone needing clothes or food, it's not, let's send them to this place. I need to be able, willing, and plan to do that myself. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. I want to add this as well. So we think about loving your neighbor. This cuts the root of every part of evil. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 13. And Paul says, when you love your neighbor, you're going to keep the law. It cuts down all sin. No longer if you love your neighbor, you're going to covet his wife or covet anything that he has because you love him. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to speak against them. You're going to be slanderous toward them. You're not going to bear false witness because you love them. Love for God and love for your neighbor, it, it undermines all that. In fact, when you start loving your neighbor as yourself, it does some things. Everybody in their life, as, as far as psychology goes and Christian counseling goes, all people fundamentally are trying to do two things. They're trying to preserve themselves, satisfy their own needs of significance and security. In other words, they want self-fulfillment and self-preservation. You hear people talk about that. We want fulfillment in life. I want to do things my way. I'm going to do things that make me comfortable. I work to put food on the table. That kind of talk has to do with self-preservation and self-fulfillment. 
And yet the world will take those desires, instead of putting them in God and finding their significance and security by trusting God and loving in Him, they do what with it? They put their self-preservation and fulfillment in their work or in the government or something else that they worship. They might put it in sports. They might put it in their social life or in their family and worship those things. And yet, as we read this morning, Jesus said that your, your disposition toward your family, your wife, your children, needs to be far less than loving God. In fact, when I read James chapter 3, and we studied this a few weeks ago, the alternative to God, when people stop worshiping God and stop looking to Him, is that they live a life of envy and self-ambition. And you can hear it. You can, you can probably hear it in your own voice sometimes. If you're not careful, you start making plans in your life without God. This is how it sounds. So-and-so has this. This person has this. I see the houses, people around me, and the cars they drive, and the clothes they have, and the, how much they're paid. I want that. Why don't I have that? And some people say, well, in my life, it's all about not what I have. It's about the experiences. I hear a lot today from, from millennials. I don't care where I live. It's just about experiences. And so it's about this self-fulfillment or selfish ambitions about what I want and what I want to get out of life so that I can go down and by the time I'm 40 years old be able to say, I've been in every continent on the planet and I've climbed mountains, jumped off of cliffs, and all this kind of stuff. All that's a distraction from your Creator, from your God who teaches you how to love and to love others. So we look at our significance and our security and it is only fulfilled in Him. So loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's the greatest command. Loving your neighbors as yourself is the second greatest command. And it's hard to do that when you don't know how much God loves you. Before we finish this morning, I wanted to look at one more account from Luke. So open with me, if you got your Bible, to Luke chapter 19. It seems like all the books we're looking at this morning start with L and direct us toward chapter 19. Leviticus 19, Luke 19, but look at Luke 19 verses 5 through 10. And you remember this count here. Jesus is passing through the town of Jericho. Maybe you don't remember the town. But that's where Jesus is doing. He's going through the town of Jericho. And he finds a wee little man climbed up in a sycamore tree. And we see Jesus' love here for those who are outcasts, for those who are outsiders. His love for God. Christ loved God. He knew how much God loved him. And he gave that love to everyone. I want you to hear that here in Luke 19, 5 through 10. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Notice Jesus' emphasis there. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus says that he came to save the sinners, not the righteous. And here he says, My mission is to seek and to save the lost. I think that's the greatest act of love that you can see in someone is that they want to seek and save loss. Everything else in their life will, will change around that when their motivation is right. You care enough about yourself to make sure you're saved, you're going to do that toward others. In fact, the Scriptures tell us is that kindness leads to repentance. Yesterday, I, I heard 
my sons bickering, getting mad at each other, playing with toys. One of them was yelling at the other, being kind of mean. And I had to talk to him, and I said, listen, you being mean to him when he's mean to you doesn't fix the problem. Returning evil for evil does not fix the problem. The only hope that you have is for you to love and to like him. And when you love him back, that's the only chance you can see of someone repenting and coming to Christ. You see that in Christ. These Pharisees were grumbling. You stay away from Zacchaeus. Stay away from the tax collectors. Jesus showed the kindness there. In fact, Paul says in Romans 2, is in the verse right here, it's kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's because we know God's love and his mercy that we repent. And I like Titus 3 as well. Listen to what Paul says to Titus. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish. We were once fools, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The exact opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself. And he says, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. How? Oh, well, He died for us. He says, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And where is that salvation? He says, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And that's in baptism. Conform to baptism because that conforms to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the greatest act of love history's ever known, the most life-changing message that's ever been presented in this world. The greatest act of kindness that can change you and cause you to repent it's right here. And he says, We were once foolish and hateful and living in lust and passions and pleasures, selfish ambitions, trying to find fulfillment in other things. But here it is, the loving kindness of God in Jesus Christ. He came to save us. I challenge you this morning, love your neighbor as yourself so that you put an end to any kind of vengeance and resentment and grudges so you compel other people to repentance and salvation by your kindness and mercy to them so that you can acknowledge those who repent because of Christ. And Christ did that with Zacchaeus. He said, look at this man. Look at salvation has come to this house because he has repented. This morning, I want you to listen to Christ. Obey the great commands. Love your neighbor as yourself. God loves you. And this morning, you can become a Christian if you're not a Christian already. If you've gone astray and you're not living a life of love, it's focused on something else, you can change and repent and we can pray with you, encourage you. Look at Jesus' great invitation. Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This morning, if you're not a Christian, and maybe you've fallen away and you're not walking the light, we encourage you to come. Let us encourage you. Please come right now while we stand and while we sing.